Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. The rabbit trails that you can find yourselves on, and one of them that I found is odd news, and and so I, I, I was interested in that. So I went to this site that talked about odd news, and there's all kinds of weird stuff that's going on out there. Uh, last weekend, I was I was looking at it. There's there was this one story was about well, here's a headline: moose rides ice chunk down the Missouri River, and. Apparently, with a, a, a moose was trying to cross the Missouri River as in, in its frozen state, and it broke off, and some helicopter is going down or a light plane, and, and there's this video of this moose just standing on a, a floating piece of ice going down the Missouri River. Whatever happened to him, we have no idea. But uh, another one, uh, goat kicked off school bus in U- Utah. <laughs> well, that would have been a sight to see. <laughs> Uh, another one, source of Garfield phones on French be- beaches found after 30 years. Apparently over the last 30 years, these little orange kind of cheap telephones with Garfield the cat have been washing up on beaches in France. And people have been trying to figure out for 30 years, where are they coming from? Well, they found in some cave on the coast there a, a shipping container that must have fallen off a ship once. And, and with the battering of the waves and the rocks broke open. And, and, uh, and so they finally found the source. And so hopefully they could clean it up. But when they got there, it was empty. <laughs> There was just a cup. There was enough there to say, okay, this is where it came from. But uh, thousands of them were littering the uh, the seaside there. A um, couple more here. Puppy recovered, recovering after being carried off by an owl. Um, and then the last one here. Hip hop is your best bet for a cheese that will please. A Swiss study showed. Apparently, the Swiss were studying the impact of music on cheese as it was being formed, and that the most tasty cheese that came was cheese that was subjected to hours of hip-hop music. Classical, no. Jazz, no. It was hip-hop and the big bass that was going, and somehow that made the best cheese that's out there. Okay, odd news. (laughs) Well, what about this? A king born in a stable and comes into his kingdom riding on a donkey. That's an odd bit of news as well. Uh, Such could have been the the headline back in the first century as people were looking at Jesus. Jesus was born in a stable. We remember that from the Christmas story, right? There was no room at the end, and so Jesus' parents, they had to go to this stable, and he's born in a manger. There he's sitting out there. This is not what their first notions of someone who is going to be great. And then as he comes into this city, this story we remember for today, not on some great stallion, but a donkey. And yet that's the way the story comes. How Jesus comes in to this last week. 
People are yelling out, save us, save us, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And as we reflect on that today, one of the things I, I, I guess for us to consider is when we think of Jesus, what is it we think of? Who is he? And, and more so, how do we respond to him? Uh, what we're, we'll do in looking at chapter 12 of John and, and then subsequently later in the week other portions of John is if it was your last week, if you knew it was your last week, what would you do? What would you say? How would you go about things? Well, there's every sense that Jesus understands what he's getting himself into and what he's walking towards and, and how he lives his life speaks to some larger things for us. So if you have your Bibles, if you turn to John chapter 12, starting in verse 1, and we'll look at the first 16 verses here. John chapter 12. Six days before the, Pas- the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Okay, there's a lot in that sentence there. In the chapters that precede this, Lazarus had died. Lazarus was a good friend of him. He had two sisters, Mary and Martha. He'd spent a lot of time at their house. And while he was on some ministry trip somewhere, he got word that Lazarus, your friend, is dead. And Jesus waited around three days and then finally went back. And, and Jesus, Martha and Martha, was like, if you'd come earlier, this wouldn't have happened. But uh, they go to the grave, and, uh, and he says, Take the stone away. And Jesus, it's been three days. <laughs> and three days was an important part of that because, I mean, you, you were dead, dead after three days. There's no coming back after three days. And, uh, Lord, it's been three days. He's going to stink. Or as the King James would say, he stinketh. <laughs> but Jesus calls him, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forward. And, and so now he's come back to Bethany and... And he is at Lazarus' house. Verse 2. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. I'll bet it was. (laughs) Can you imagine... (laughs) pouring a whole bottle of perfume out in this contained space, it would be overpowering. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what, he, what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the days of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the King of Israel! Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. 
as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. And we'll stop there for reflect a little bit on this. One of the things that, that, that's certainly going on, and, and this is building upon all the things that John has described in his gospel and his account of Jesus' life. And, and there are forces that are coming to play here. This is kind of a pivotal point in, in the story where we move away from the stories about Jesus' ministry and the things he did to this Passion Week and the things that occur there. And all the forces that have been with him and against him are, are coming together here. We have those who are, are devoted to Jesus, people like Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and all these people are so excited to see him. And then you have others who look at him as a threat and have been considering for some time, how can we get rid of this guy? This guy is no good. He's leading people away from, from true devotion to God. He, he is a deceiver. We've got to get rid of him. And, and then this whole Lazarus thing comes up. And he's like, oh, there's, we got to get rid of Lazarus too. Because, because of him, so many more people are following him. And just people want to see Lazarus, who they heard was dead. And we got to get rid of this. And we have interjected in here Judas as well. He, as Mary brings the perfume and, and pours it over Jesus, uh, brings to the point, hey, you know, that's worth a lot of money. It's, uh, it's 300 denarii, which is about a year's wages is how it's described. Uh, probably in today's wages, if we look at $15 an hour as a standard, it's about $36,000 worth of perfume poured out there. And, and Judas is like, that could have been used in so many other ways. <laughs> well, John gives us a little insight. He's like, okay. That sounds good, but he really wasn't concerned about the poor. He was concerned about what he might be able to get his hands on. But, but all these things are coming into play here, and the forces are coming against Jesus. And as he makes his entrance, we have the contrast between those who are with him and those who are against him. Many people, when they discover Jesus is in Bethany and at, at Mary and Martha and Lazarus' place, they come and they join and they're, they're, they just want to see. And, and, and wouldn't you be as well? I mean, can you just imagine the different things that, that people had been seeing and talking about this? I mean, word of mouth on this island is pretty, pretty quick, isn't it? We, we know things that happen that spread around here pretty quickly. Uh, so it was even in Bethany and in Jerusalem. The, the news about who Jesus was, it spread to all kinds of people. And the knowledge that he was close by, let's go see, this is amazing. They didn't have Netflix at home. They, they, there was other things. And so to go see Jesus and to hear him and to see the miracles he would do, well, that was something. And so he enters into Jerusalem. And the people heard that, that, on that day as he's coming in, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. And so, so they took palms like this and, and they spread them and they're waving and, and this whole messianic fervor 
again, for, for this Jewish culture who was well-versed in, in the Messiah or the Christ, the, the anointed one, the one who was going to come rescue them. And in their minds, in their situation, they were being oppressed and overrun by Rome. That, that's who was controlling them. And, and if the Messiah were going to drive them out and we will be free again. And so with such excitement about the possibility of the king to rescue them, and so they're there at this particular time of the year, Passover. Uh, their time where they remember what God had rescued them in another time. In the time when they were enslaved and in, trapped in Egypt, God rescued them. And we need to be rescued again. And so this is the excitement. And so the references to Psalm 118 come. And, and the pilgrims would have been there being ready for Passover and and. Passover during the Passover feast, Jerusalem, which often is about 50,000 people by many people's estimation, would swell to 100,000 to 120,000 or even more. And, and uh, the city could not hold those kind of people. And so people would stay in other places. Bethany, where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived, was about six miles out of town, not that long a walk for people to come. And, and so that is often where Jesus was going back to when he was going into the city. But many making their way into the city. Again, this messianic fervor. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And, and John recites as well from Zechariah that's, this is supposed to be, he's supposed to be on a donkey. He's not supposed to be on some great stallion. It's to be a donkey. And, and he, he brings these verses together for us. And he says, hey, you know, at the time, we didn't get this. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm writing this to you now, but we didn't get this before. It was only after he was glorified, we started making connections. And like, oh, Oh, that's why that happened. That's why he had all these things happened in this way because they were supposed to. It's written in, in the scriptures. This is how God had said, my Messiah, your king, is going to come in these manners. And so they got it later, but at the time they're like, well, I don't know why he's on a donkey. What, what is, what's going on here? And a lot of times in our lives, as, as we approach faith, and, and certainly for us, we approach this story with, with some bit of knowledge. All of us know the rest of the story. We, we know what we're going to do on Friday. We know what we're going to do on Sunday because this is the story we, we all know. But for them, they were just discovering this. And they had no idea what was going to happen this week. I'm sure many of them, as they're watching Jesus walk by with these palms, like, Oh boy, what is going to happen next? This is awesome. It's, five days later, the one they were lifting up is going to be killed. They have no clue. They have no clue on Good Friday that the one who is dead is going to be raised again. But we do. And so we can look at these stories within a context but I think some of the things for us in here is that God does things in ways sometimes that we're not anticipating. We think we know what's next and how things are supposed to go. And, and God says, yeah, not quite. There's some things that you're going to walk through along the way. 
and you may face difficulties and hardships along the way. And as Jesus enters, it's filled with possibilities and potential. But potential that's, we don't know what it's going to be yet. Well, the story goes on. And in chapter 12, verse 17, the story presses on from the entrance to uh, the beginnings of the debate about who he is and what he was doing. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, meaning Lazarus, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to the worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now, my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefits, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, You're going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. Believe in the light while you have the light, so that you may become children of light. When he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. Again, the story goes on, and as he presses on, the, the debate becomes, what do we do? How do we respond to this Jesus? The Pharisees are just pulling their hair out almost, like, look, Everyone's fallen. This is we're we're losing ground here. This is what are we gonna we gotta we gotta do something. Everyone's following this guy, and we know that he's wrong. How do we do this? And and then into this mix, some some Greek people, God fearing Greeks is is how they're understood to be, and they're in Jerusalem for Passover too. I don't know if they're on a business trip or if they're living there as part of uh, having been dispersed and, and settled there, but they're there, and, and uh, they too have heard about Jesus. Now, Gentiles would be basically people who are not Jew or, or uh, Israelite in their background, and, and they say, we want to talk to Jesus, and, uh, which is 
a little difference. This is not, I mean, the Messiah is supposed to be the Messiah for, well, the Jewish people. That's been their understanding. So what part does he have to play with, with Gentiles? It's a little foreshadowing of what's happening here. Uh, something that we'll see come into greater fruition in the Acts of the Apostles when, when Cornelius in chapter 10 meets Peter. And the gospel is extended not just to Jews, but also to non-Jews. But in reply to this, Jesus tells a story I shared with the children, and he talks about a seed that, that goes into the ground and that it needs to die, and, and in dying, the seed then will produce hundreds of seeds on it. And, and again, they don't know the rest of this story. <laughs> They're probably thinking, what is he talking about? And, and he compounds that by talking about how he's going to be lifted up and, and the people get what he's saying. He's like, okay, the Messiah, the Son of Man, he's, he's supposed to reign forever. How, 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 do you, how does the Son of Man die then? What are, you, what are you talking about? What's happening here? Who is the Son of Man? How are we supposed to take this? Jesus talks about this, this new life that comes through death and leaves them wondering again, again using themes that John has used all throughout his gospel, starting even chapter 1, and images of light and darkness. Light has come into the world, and that's a pretty basic concept for us, right? Uh, we're sitting here in the light because we have lights on in the room, but also lights that comes from, from the sun. Uh, when it's night and the power is off, it's really dark, and you stumble along and hurt your shins and stub your toes, and you need light to be able to see. And, and Jesus is using this imagery. He's like, what's before you? Light is before you. Grab hold of this so that you might be part of the children of life. And again, speaking in ways for them, they're like, where is he going with this? Uh, one of the things I like to do in, 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 in approaching texts like this is, is to step into their world and their thinking. It's like, how are they approaching this? They're not going to get this like I do because I know how it goes through chapter 21, and I know Acts chapter 1 through 28. There, there's more to this story, but they're living it in the moment. What is he talking about, living in the light? What does it mean? Well, Jesus, after he finished speaking, he left and was hid from them, which isn't very helpful. <laughs> if you have questions, you're wondering, what is, what is, how, what is supposed to happen here? Where, where did he go? Where did he go? And then the story goes on. Verse 37. Even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's Isaiah 53. For this reason they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. 
Yet at the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that this command leads to eternal life. So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Jesus is a polarizing figure. Again, the, 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 the factions that are for him and against him are becoming clear, but many are coming to believe in him. Having seen the performance of miracles, many of them are like, yes, but some don't. Isn't that curious? I, I mean, for, for a lot of us, we, we look at the, the things that happen there in the scriptures that, you know, if only I could have experienced it. That would have just helped my faith so much. To be able to see him do just one miracle would have have been awesome. And yet, we have in the text here an indication that there's a lot of people who were there and saw these things. People who knew Lazarus, knew that he died, and still would not believe. And then there's some who did believe, even leaders amongst the the people who believed, but they wouldn't acknowledge it out loud because, well, because the government, the the religious authorities, they were not for this. The government's going to be complicit in Jesus being arrested and killed. The the, the religious authorities were the ones that were motivating this, and and to, to... say any allegiance at all to Jesus was to put yourself on the outside of of where the the faith community was. You could be cast out of your synagogue. So many many just backed off. And and to this situation with people debating and thinking and some believing and some not, uh, Jesus again begins teaching the people. And he says, okay, if you believe in me, it's more than just me that you're believing in. It's, it's the one who sent me. I've come with a message. I've come intentionally for a reason, to tell people about God's kingdom and what's in most important in this world. And this contrast that's happening between me and the rest of this culture is something for you to take to heart and to think and make a choice in your own life. Do you believe, one, that God exists and that he's sending his, his servant to come to rescue the people? This is what I'm doing. If you fail to do this, I'm not judging you, but there is one who judge. Jesus came to save. Jesus came to offer us freedom from our setting apart from God 
because we've sinned. All of us know we sinned. I don't have to call you out in particular. You just need to look in the mirror and say, have I been perfect? Have I always been kind? Have I done this right? And it doesn't take too much reflection to say, okay, I've, there's, some, there's some minor ways and, and some major ways that I have blown it. And I want to be forgiven. And that's this message. You can be forgiven. You can be restored to God forever. And that's what Jesus came. And this restoration is something that changes everything. It changes our direction. Transformation really happens. Because if we claim to have faith, it ought to make a difference. It, it ought to change something about who we are and how we live and in some tangible way. We just finished up a series on, on the book of Hebrews. And in and, and Hebrews, it talks about faith. And, and in chapter 11, it says it this way, that faith, faith is a substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things unseen, which if, if you look at that from a, a natural viewpoint is complete nonsense Faith is the substance of things hoped for. If it's hoped for, it's not substance. And it's the evidence of things unseen. Well, if you can't see it, it's not evidence. Except for what faith does in the one who has the faith. Because it makes a difference. As the wind blows, we know the wind is out there, but we can't see the wind. But we know it has a big impact. When, when we see large sheets of ice flowing through the, uh, the straits there or large trees being knocked over, we know that the wind is there and powerful and it has an impact. Leaves are going along and debris sometimes. And faith in our life does something. In 1921... Lewis Laws, became the warden at Sing Sing Prison. No prison was tougher than Sing Sing during that time, but when Warden Laws retired some 20 years later, that prison had become a humanitarian institution. Those who studied the system said credit for the change belonged to Laws. But when he was asked about the transformation, here's what he said. I owe it all to my wonderful wife, Catherine, who was buried outside the prison walls. Catherine Laws was a young mother with three small children when her husband became the warden. Everyone warned her from the beginning that she should never, ever set foot inside the prison walls. But that didn't stop Catherine. When the first prison basketball game was held, she walked into the gym with her three beautiful children, and she sat in the stands with the inmates. Her attitude was, my husband and I are going to take care of these men, and I believe they will take care of me. I don't have to worry. She insisted on getting acquainted with them and their records. She discovered one convicted murderer was blind, so she paid him a visit. Holding his hand in hers, she said, Do you read Braille? What's Braille? He asked. Then she taught him how to read. Years later, he would weep in love for her. Later, Catherine found a deaf mute in prison. She went to school to learn how to use sign language. Many said that Catherine Laws was the body of Jesus that came alive again in Sing Sing from 1921 to 1937. 
Then she was killed in a car accident. The next morning, Louis Laws didn't come to work, so the acting warden took his place. It seemed almost instantly that the prison knew something was wrong. The following day, her body was resting in a casket in her home, uh, three-quarters of a mile from the prison. As the acting warden took his early morning walk, he was shocked to see a large crowd of the toughest, hardest-looking criminals gathered like a hurdle animals at the front gate. He came closer and noted tears of grief and sadness. He knew how much they loved Catherine. He turned and faced the men. All right, men, you can go. Just be sure and check in tonight. Then he opened the gates and a parade of criminals walked without a guard the three-quarters of a mile to stand in line to pay their final respects to Catherine Laws. And every one of them checked back in. Every one. Catherine Laws embodied Jesus. She looked at the prison where her husband worked and may have well remembered Hebrews chapter 13 where there's a call to visit and care for those who are in prison. And so she did. And she looked at them not as animals that need to be avoided, but as humans that still needed to be treated with care and respect. And so she did. And made an impact in their lives. That's the gospel of Jesus. That's what listening and following and and faith becomes in our lives. And so, how do we respond to this Jesus? Well, part of it, as we, as we reflect on these stories and the stories that we remember this week, is what he went through and endured on our behalf because he knew what he was getting into. Remember that phrase that says, shall I, shall I shrink back from this? Shall I try and avoid what's... No, this is why I've come. And so he walked into that town, understanding those who wanted to kill him would see him there. And the steps towards his death, but our rescue was made. He did that for you because you matter to him. And he did that for others. And so if you have not come to this point of receiving Christ as your Savior, of, of saying, yes, I want the forgiveness that comes to me from, God, from Jesus, I invite you to do so today. You are welcome as part of the family. Say yes. I will receive that gift. And if you receive this gift how does it live out in your life? Have you taken this story as so part of who you are that it changes you? That your life now is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence that others can see of that which is unseen. That's faith in Jesus. That's his spirit moving in our midst. And that's his call for each of us. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, thank you this morning for, thank you for the children. And uh, 
as the story talks about the children and the song sing about the children uh, singing and dancing and lifting you up and we had them come with the palms today. Thank you for that picture of, of your approach into Jerusalem. But thank you that all these things you were doing intentionally so that you could save us. Their cry, Hosanna, is our cry. And having received your saving us, we say thank you. And ask that you would guide us to live faithfully amongst one another, but also throughout the places we go, that we might be your people, we might be your hands and feet wherever we go. We lift you up this day through Christ our Lord. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.